70s versus the 80s. This is Wolfman Mike. And if you ever had to rush to the video store to return Caddyshack 2 to see the poster and realize you were not kind, you did not rewind, and now you're going to have to pay a fine of $1.99, this is the podcast for you. As always, I am joined by Brian, Bry Guy, a.k.a. Did I Ask for Fries on the Side Guy? Yes, I know Caddyshack 2 was a terrible movie, but as you can tell by the opening today, we are talking about a great movie. That's right, The Shining. But since this subject's kind of spooky for the two of us, we brought in some help. That's right. We brought in Hannah and Austin from the chart-topping, world-famous podcast, The Bleeding Grave. And all four of us happen to be from Minnesota. So just pretend you're, I don't know, watching Fargo or something. Sorry about that. And since we're not afraid of controversy, we're also going to talk a little Ice Cream Man versus Dairy Queen. We got a lot to talk about today, so let's get right to it. And hang out with us forever. Forever. And ever. And ever. So today, so today we're going to talk some Shining. And um, as you can tell by the theme music coming in. <laughs> but um, we have Austin and Hannah from The Bleeding Grave. And... Um, and it's a great podcast, but why don't you guys kind of explain it? Because I'm going to mess up the genre if I try to explain it. Yeah, so we we kind of have the tagline, like a podcast about the macabre, but it's really anything that's like true crime, paranormal, dark history, like supernatural. If it's just like weird and bizarre, we're probably going to be talking about it. I mean, just like macabre's definition is is depiction of disturbing and horrifying so anything that falls into that category what you think is that that is basically what we talk about mm-hmm. well yeah. we talk about the 70s and the 80s that kind of fits in that's kind of I, horrifying I mean, too. the 80s you're not wrong <laughs> I mean, 70s and 80s prime time for serial killers everything yeah 
We, we find ourselves in the 70s and 80s frequently covering oh, yeah. our stories. <laughs> we talked about, in a past episode, we talked about like the urgent, urban legends that had started in the 70s. It seemed to, even before social media, mm-hmm. every school, everyone seems to know about them, like Chester the Molester and everything. You talk to someone who went mm-hmm. f- you know, five districts away and they had, had the same thing going around their school. Yeah, I mean, I grew up going to a bunch of different schools just because we moved a few times. Um and there was basically the same, you know, stories, whatever you want to call them, lore, legend, uh, just general nonsense at every school that I went to. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so the sh- so the Shining, you guys just rewatched it last night. Is that am I right? I rewatched it for like the hundredth <laughs> time. Hannah watched it for the very first time last yeah. night. Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. Okay, so we get oh, yeah. perspectives. Okay. Oh Excellent. yeah. I wish I had a camera recording her because her reactions were the best with the last 45 minutes of the movie. Apparently I get really funny when I'm really spooked. So <laughs> I mean, she had a blanket up and then there was the one eye peeking out while she's oh, watching. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to miss what's happening, but also I'm not I'm not ready for whatever's gonna happen. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. So so Brian, how many times have you seen it? I have seen it only through all the way once and then I've bits and pieces, so I try to reacquaint myself with it. And um I of course have my my opinions on it. What it really is though, (laughs) um to maybe start off uh, the talking points is it seems like it's a master class in the suspense building and yes. bringing you in and knowing that something's going to happen between um, eerie music, uh, different camera angles. Uh, Kubrick obviously doing things over and over and over again until he gets exactly what he wants. He's really cinematography building. Is great. Right. Yeah, Hannah, what did you think about the cinematography? It was, um, I think it was I, pure 1980 or 79, whenever they filmed I, it. But. You know, I really like that cinematography style, actually. Um, it it kind of reminds me of stuff that, um, oh, what is the, I think Wes Anderson is the director's name, um, who did like Moonlight, Moonrise Kingdom. Oh. It reminds me of that kind of style of cinematography and um, everything, which I know obviously The Shining came before that, but... Um, I don't know. I just really like that cinematography. I studied cinematography a little bit in college and uh, just looking at the camera angles and the placements of everything on the set. um, There was one scene I think I specifically out loud said like, oh, I understand exactly everything he did with this single shot and why why it's all where it is and everything. It was the it was the scene where Danny and Wendy were watching TV and it was the how the frame was set up it's, is what it's she, the artistry like, of it like that's what i love about it it's there's so much effort that goes into it did you yes, pick up yeah imagery. something on the tv did you see something that was odd about the tv well with your age group you might not have <laughs> you guys are younger than us we should mention that so, okay. i was looking at the whole room how can i not look at the the decor and so what was what was weird about the tv what was missing from the tv oh i don't know there was no power source it wasn't plugged in anywhere it was just an oh no. No, yeah. See, I didn't when you even said that, that, I was thinking about like the images going on the screen and everything. I'm like, there's something in there? Right. No, but now that you mention it, yeah, there's no cord running back to anywhere. Yeah. And I think you just did it because it looked better because you don't want to have a cord yeah. hanging, but yeah. it just looked It could cleaner. be something else, but yeah. <laughs> it was, there's no, no cord to it. Um, I know that this was one of the first movies that used the steady cam a lot. Um, yes. And so 
with your with the film uh, the um with your study in this the shots of them following when Dan, uh the, when I, was it it's not Danny Danny was drive riding his big wheel through the yeah through the hotel on the and it's, it's happened three different times on three different floors they like modified a wheelchair to follow behind with the steady cam. So that's why I you're getting that. I was wondering how they did that because I was like, the shots are so clean and so nice. I was trying to figure out what contraption they put together to make that happen. And the sound of it being different from the carpet to the, the hardwood floor yes. back to the carpet. Yeah, we were talking about that too. That grounds you. I mean, you're, you're immediately there because you hear the hardwood floor, carpet, mm-hmm. And then, yeah, it just totally grounds you and makes you there. But that steady cam was brand, I think, Rocky, Marathon Man. And then the guy who was operating it was the originator, and he had to kind of leave to go do Rocky too, as they were filming this a few times. Oh, but, okay. Yeah, because Rocky, when he runs up the stairs, is when they use it, yeah. I was going to say, what else? What 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 cinematography is we talking about in Rocky too that they would need to take the steady cam guy away from The Shining? <laughs> you know. <laughs> These are the hard-hitting questions that we need answers to. <laughs> that was, yeah, he could have probably skipped that one movie, but um, yeah, like that one, like it just they used it in Halloween, which was two years before this, quite a bit too. Yeah. Oh. Oh, okay. Okay. I didn't know that so, either. Um, so do have either or any of you have you? Because uh, I haven't. Has anybody read The Shining the book or read The Shining the book? I have. You did you read it before, Austin. or did you read it because you were a fan of the movie? I read it as a, uh, because I was a fan of, my, of the movie. My dad told me to watch The Shining because I was in a big horror phase back in high school. And then I didn't realize until I watched it that it was based on a Stephen King book. So I watched the movie, and then I read the book. Um, I'd say they did a pretty good job, I thought, at casting everybody. I thought um, Wendy, uh, Shelley Duvall as Wendy, the best, I thought, where Jack Nicholson portraying Jack Torrance, I always thought of this, like, taller, thinner man, and not, like, not, I mean, Jack's not a short man by any means, but... But everything about how he he did the character was perfect. Like, he really got into the character. He went full out for it. I don't think there would have been many other contenders as far as casting that up against Mark, him. I think I've read that Stephen King would have preferred someone like Martin Sheen or someone like that. Someone who would have been more oh. family-oriented at the beginning, but then mm-hmm. would make that full transformation, because that's what it's supposed to do. The hotel is what yeah. drives him right. crazy. But Jack Nicholson, especially coming off of like One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest, that was five years earlier, kind of has mm-hmm. that built-in level of a little bit of crazy to begin with. And even on the yeah. drive there, he's like right. showing signs that he that he's, would be easy to, to send over <laughs> the edge. He's seen it on the television. That's all. I, I <laughs> thought that Jack Nicholson was probably doing that because of like the alcohol, um, his um, sobriety and everything. Hmm. But he has that past and it is still haunting him is what I, what I kind of picked up more on. Well, yeah. and then you pointed out to me, I, I don't know if it was touched on in the movie and I just missed it, but um, in the book it says that he has schizophrenia, which explains basically every aspect of that character. 
Um, I don't think they actually say that he has schizophrenia in the in the book, but it's definitely like he's def the uh, common signs for it. Well, yeah, and we were talking about that as we were watching the movie too. How like there's obviously say this were real life, there is something very deeply wrong with this person, and they do need medical attention. So, yeah, and and, and of course Stephen King, I think had Danny's childhood in the. I mean he writes 3,000 page books or whatever so they have, yeah. they have oh, yeah. pages and pages of Danny's childhood or not Danny uh, Jack's childhood and everything so mm-hmm. so I'm kind of I kind of like the I'm surprised you said that Austin because most people that read the book don't like the movie because they are so different mm-hmm. but um, I, I mean movies and books are different you have to get to the scene like as I was re-watching this movie I was really shocked that uh, Danny seen the two twins like the first day they go and there's still other people moving yeah. out right. I, I couldn't believe it happened that early I thought that was later in the movie and stuff so that right. was really shocking at how much and I just wanted to ask you two uh, since you are younger than us um, what was your introduction to Jack Nicholson because I, I think The Shining was my introduction to him Do you remember I think what mine was um the one who flew over the cuckoo's nest. Well, that's because good. We, because that's because we, re- we read the book in school, and then I think it was like toward the end of the year, so we watched the movie. Then after we did all of our essays and all the important stuff with the, with the in story. May when the teachers don't want to teach anymore. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'd say I'm, mine. I'm impressed by the Minnesota yeah. school system that they let you read that book. That or it was in college in my lit and film class where we read the book and then watched the film and then like did all these comparisons and everything. <laughs> So it was somewhere in there. I guess Stephen King was kind of upset with having uh, Jack Nicholson because he just played and one flew over the cuckoo's nest five years earlier where he went great or pretended to be crazy, whatever. And um, Yeah. Right. And, but uh, Jack, like, did he age 20 years from 75 to 80 because he looks like 20 years older <laughs> into the shining? Right. I think it's just that longer hair and it just looks like it's thinning and That's, getting wispier. Yeah. Like, hair can do wonders for a character. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, did this movie have the this movie reminded me of a silent movie because it had the most face acting the three the three of them just with especially Jack with what they did with their face he was just always yeah he looked like Buster Keaton like there was always something I don't know how many times I said it but I kept going put your tongue back in your mouth while we were (laughs) watching the movie lots of shots of the actors looking into the camera more so than what would be typical in a movie of that Mm -hmm. time frame well yeah I like that one where Jack when he first he says, I'd give my soul for a, a drink. And I think that's where the movie flips because he looks right into the camera. Is that mirror behind mm-hmm. the wall? Yep. It's that yeah. fourth wall break that, like, yep. and, it's And then it's he's jarring. looking right at the, you don't know what he's looking at. And then there's a bartender all of a sudden there. Mm-hmm. Right. And so. that's when shit hits the fan or starts building up to it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I wanted to talk. I also heard that. St- so Stephen King was kind of upset with Jack Nicholson, but um, I can't imagine the movie without him. I mean, I know Stephen King also said Christopher Reeve would he wanted him to be in the movie, and I was like, and I can't go for that because I I think it would just be distasteful to have a uh, uh, have her swinging a baseball bat at, at a man in a wheelchair. What do you? Yeah, I mean, that, that <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my god! His his little wheels would get stuck in the snow when he's going through the head. Not his wheels. <laughs> Well, I guess that was after because he still did Superman three and four after this. <laughs> we, but... True. Oh, yeah. True. So just just a little early there. Have has anyone ever been though to like any kind of place where there's like a hedge maze as part of the attraction to it? 
Or is this just I part don't know, of the just book? Just a lot of, of corn thing? mazes. Yeah. Yeah, Good old corn mazes. <laughs> yeah, corn mazes here in Minnesota. We we do that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> no, but not an actual hedge maze. I think that would be really fun and interesting European. if I had a whole day to kill. Yeah. <laughs> And it's kind of, they portrayed it pretty well in the movie. You get to the middle and you're like, okay, this is it. Now we got to get out. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah. Just yeah right. When you get to the middle, you're like, okay. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I guess, um, did you, well, you read the book, Austin, you know, but they had the the hedge animals that came alive in the book. And they, they figured Kubrick's like, there's no way, because this is before Jurassic Park. He's like, there's no way we can film yeah. this. So then he came up with the hedge maze. And I think mm-hmm. that's a happy accident. Oh. I think that's a way better yeah, I That's would so like with the book versus the movie. Like I don't even think when it comes to this one, I don't think there's like a versus. It's like you're almost comparing apples to oranges in this mm-hmm. case because the way Stanley Kubrick did it, I like the way he did it. And like you said, it's a happy yes. accident with the maze. And I would go, you know, instead of them trying to do some butch CGI or butch puppetry or something like that with the hedge animals coming alive you could just go right into the maze itself or having the maze. And yeah, like you said, it was a happy accident. Cause they did have the shining, the TV extended series, which we were going to kind of talk about later. You know how you can adopt this. Oh, I didn't even know they had like a TV series. And they did have the hedge animals come alive and it it didn't work for me. I don't (laughs) know. Was it, was it like butch CGI? The CGI was okay. Cause I think it was 1997. It was okay ish, Mm. but it just, It just the hedge maze is better. It just <laughs> having right. hedges run around is not as cool as having that hedge maze, which which led to the perfect ending. Uh, oh yeah, I mean it's suspenseful. I mean they're going through it. He's limping through. We don't know if he's going to run into Danny or Danny's going to run into him. Mm-hmm. That that limp is just perfect too. It was just uh, I, I heard some people saying why was he limping? I was like, well he just rolled down the stairs like the scene before, and then I guess we go a while without seeing him walking, but. <laughs> I think yeah. it was just perfect. That just that was the creepiest part of the movie was the limp. Yeah, maybe. I think it really added to it. It's like he's gonna do whatever he's he need or he's gonna do whatever it takes to literally kill his family. Like he probably could have been on a broken ankle and yeah. still would have kept going. Yeah, that adrenaline and everything rushing through. And then we're all Minnesotans. I love I love the snowstorm because they're inside this nice cozy hotel, and then she opens up the window, and then it's just like. Just like what happens with the big snowstorm, yeah, it's just like a, just the, the atmosphere just changes literally and figuratively. And it just okay, like, but oh, I no. wanted to know who was plowing the parking lot the whole time because that parking lot was plowed at some point that had not just been sitting there all winter like that. <laughs> she was so concerned for the last 20 minutes. Like, who was plowing this? I'm like, who is plowing? Who is clearing the hedge maze because there's not just a mountain of snow in between all the hedges? Like, what is actually happening here? <laughs> I've seen this movie a hundred times. I never thought of that, actually. <laughs> you know, same until she started pointing out. I'm like, you know, it's a good point. It's this. It's a. It's the worst snowstorm they've seen, but they can walk through it. Just, you know, it was just trying to avoid the issue at hand. <laughs> well, and especially uh, the worst snowstorm they've seen in a place where it's closed for the winter, right? Because it's, mm-hmm, they had to right. close for the winter. They needed a winter caretaker. So, And then the guy flies back from Miami. Like, oh, the, the worst snowstorm. Airport's going to close in an hour. And then he's just booking a flight and flying back. That was you know, He's like, I'll be there in two seconds. Just wait for me. <laughs> <laughs> the little continuity errors there. Yeah. Yeah. But, the, I mean, it's that's like... pretty standard with, with <laughs> movies. So we'll take it. We'll, take well that's why the lift is so good. Because usually some, bats, some people are in a chase and they're 
beat, beaten, battered, and torn up, and it's like nothing's happened. They're still running. And all these people, a lot of these chase movies, they have such excellent cardio routines because they're just running and running and running, and they never mm-hmm. get tired or anything like that. It's like, come on. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, maybe it's our age, Mike, but I get tired just getting out walking up the stairs. I know. They're running for 20, 30 minutes, and I'm like, I could never. I could oh. never. <laughs> I don't even know if adrenaline will help you that much. No. No, not a runner, not a track star. <laughs> <laughs> and I, with with this movie, I keep talking about casting, but I, you know, I like when they have the rock stars in the '80s. They used to have rock stars play the big dramatic role because it kind of an edge to it. Mm-hmm. So I thought it would have been kind of cool if they had Phil Collins play because when he when he fell down the stairs, they could have made this sound effect. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> okay. But... <laughs> That's a good one. All right. I'm almost done with that. <laughs> <Sound effects. laughs> You've worked it into like three or four. Yeah. <laughs> That's my favorite go-to. Yep. <laughs> it's the commitment to the bit for me. I really appreciate I, yeah, that. I <laughs> can, can appreciate it. Summer of uh, 21, I went with my brother and my son and my sister and her three daughters. We went out to did a Colorado trip and went to Red Rocks and first time I'd been to there for a concert promptly got hailed on. Uh, But then we went into Estes Park and that's where the Stanley uh, Hotel is, which is where Stephen King got inspired to write this story. It's a gorgeous hotel and they give shining tours and things through it, but it was like, it was like packed and we really couldn't get in. Um, But just it's not even wasn't the movie wasn't necessarily set there or anything like that. But it's a big tourist attraction just because it's the place that inspired the movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's incredibly haunted itself. Um, That's the other thing is covering it sometime soonish on our podcast. Perfect. Well, here's a story you can cover. They they actually did kind of use it in Dumb and Dumber when they went to Aspen. And remember that hotel that kind of looks similar? Oh, Oh, I actually heard that, too. So, uh so Drew Carey insisted now the book had what was the room number it was 117 in the book not 237 it was oh yeah it was 217 in the book I'm pretty sure and instead of 237 two, yeah yeah so uh so uh Drew not Drew Carey Jim Carey <laughs> insisted he wanted to stay in the room overnight so I guess he came running out of the room at 3 a.m. in the morning and left and then has never told the story has never talked to anybody about mm-hmm. it oh <laughs> Yeah. Well, I guess we got to go, Hannah. We got to figure out what he's we, talking about. I guess we got to go. Yeah, that would be that would be an interesting haunted hotel to stay in. I've stayed oh. in at least one haunted hotel, and that was something else. But um, that I think the Stanley Hotel would be very a very active and fun one to explore and stay in. So, and yeah, I actually work at, at a Native American casino, and so we have similar carpet in some areas. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, okay. And uh, one time they had to, they were changing over the um, the power grid, so they turned off the light. They kicked everyone out of the hotel like a day before, and then they turned off the lights. And me and one other guy had to take our flashlights and go search back and forth. Oh, and um, my gosh! So I'm like, I'll start at the east end, you start at the west end, and we both got done, and we never crossed each other. <laughs> oh my oh, gosh! No thanks. That's insane. <laughs> So I was going to say, what, there was a couple of holy shit moments in this movie, but for some reason, the one that really gets me is the typewriter. Did, did that? What did you guys think of that? That was, I thought that was really interesting because it showed, 
a very specific level of psychosis that was happening. <laughs> it felt like a very like on the nose. Like you really can't misinterpret that one. Um, no. But what was really interesting was the different layouts that every page that, was where that some did have sentences, some were just run on. Yeah, like some it's one like, thing to just have like pages just full and full of it, but like he made them look like paragraphs, like it was a book. He did like there were shapes some scripts with them. Too. Yeah. Like, like there was so much that they did. And like, I think it was that extra detail that like that little detail is mm-hmm. like that's a that's psychoticness it's, right there. It's because of the like very specific effort put into yeah. it i think but that's like that's good on the director's part or whoever came up with that too like now that kubrick's secretary they claimed it took weeks or months for her to type all that up oh, oh i goodness. could imagine yeah do you think they just got bored and started doing all the shapes and everything <laughs> i hope so I, I like the one where he did the um like the quote like he he indented it like a citation quote so it looked like yeah oh yep yep <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Brian. I would say that in the uh, foreign countries, they took uh, similar idioms uh, in those languages and put them on there. So I, I like the German one was different, and I can't remember them, oh. but they did use it. Um, so it wasn't the same exact all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy or whatever it was. Yeah, that's it was really something cool. to oh, the specific to the country. So obviously it would have had to have someone type it all out in the different languages yeah. as well. Yeah, I just didn't know if it had this big impact on you because I'm sure you've both have never used typewriters, and it's like you can't fake that. You have you can't, you know, yeah, the way, no, especially I, each page was different. So yeah, you can't. Yeah, Xerox I was thinking about whatever. that too. I've I've played with a couple typewriters, and like like I said, the effort that went into making the pages look that way and everything. It's not just on the computer. You can just click a couple buttons and you're good to go. So I, I was trying to think what in the modern world would, would be equivalent to that. And, and so I, I thought up a, a scenario real quick, if you guys will hang with me for a second. But I was thinking, yeah. like, yes. how about next week I, I send you guys an email and I'm like, hey, guys, I just did this a solo podcast. It's six and a half hours long and it's just me solo. And then um, and then Brian would email you a day later and you're, he's like, did you check out Mike's podcast? And you're like, of course not. It's six and a half hours long and it's solo. And then Brian would be like, yeah, he just says all work and no play makes Mike a dull boy over and over again. And, and then you guys would be like, that's crazy. He looped that for six and a half hours. And Brian would be like, no, he didn't loop it. No. He did it. <laughs> he did one. Sang it. One was Elvis Presley. One was Freeman. Yeah. <laughs> he oh did the whole cast of the Brady Bunch. A- Alice wasn't bad, but you know, good. <laughs> I'd, I'd be a little worried. I'd be just a little worried. Just <laughs> a little. Yeah. And if then you... three hours in, I would be like, "How do you like it so far?" Like Jack. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> if you keep it under eight hours, I'd probably listen to it during a work shift. Yeah, Brian would listen to it. That's the problem. He is loyal like that. <laughs> and it'll be the one with the most plays. <laughs> He's just listening yeah. to it on repeat. That, that would be great. <laughs> no, it's going to have the most because the FBI is looking at it now. Yeah, now they're, they're like, worried. Go- no one would just do this. It passed on. Oh, you got to listen to this as they're building their case against you. Yeah. <laughs> so I did have kind of have a real life once again at the casino. I had a real life experience like this where um, this we got called over and they're like there's there, there's like an incident at machine five forty nine or whatever it was and we went over there's a bunch of ice on the floor they didn't tell us what happened and this lady's like she was like the female Jack Nicholson she's like are you guys here for me and I was like well did you throw all the and I'm like what happened and her husband comes over and she's like he's like yeah she threw all that ice at me. 
And so, oh my gosh. So, so he's like, can you just throw us out? And I was like, well, no, not really. Nothing physical happened. And, and he's, <laughs> he's like, like, I just want to be kicked just out. Be, go. Yeah, he asked to get kicked out. And he, that's what they came there for. She just got done with um, Gamblers Anonymous. And she came there to get herself excluded, kicked out. And she sat oh. down at a machine and started playing. And I guess then she ended up throwing ice at him when he tried to intervene. So then the rest, he's like, I got $8,000 on my card and it's our life savings or whatever. And he's like, can you just kick us out? And I was like, go freeze your card. And he's like, I can't, we're joint. And I'm like, well, dude, you can still freeze your card. But anyways, so we walked by and she had like 6,000, she had $6,000 on the machine. And she had this Jack Nicholson smile when he's typing, the same smile as him. And then I walked by a couple hours. She's like, I'm leaving in a half hour. I walked by three hours later and she's got $3,000. And she's got that same sick, like beauty contestant smile and then we walk by a couple hours later and she's got like four hundred dollars and she's just got the biggest smile she's having the greatest time of her life (laughs) and the next day everybody at work is like i was like guys did you see that yesterday and they're like we couldn't sleep i was like i couldn't sleep either we kept thinking about it and we just couldn't sleep that is nuts i don't understand how people can do that like i i get addiction and everything but man that that's a it's it's a whole uh, it's a whole thing. Yeah. It's a whole thing that we may never understand. Uh, like if this came, if this movie came out today, what scenes would be excluded or wouldn't work today? Yeah, I, Hannah, I've got Hannah, an answer. Hannah's got one. 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 <laughs> Probably the one where they drop the N word several times, just back to back to back. I yes. don't know if that one would quite fly today. <laughs> There's no way it would fly today. Um, Stop blazing saddles. <laughs> it's not no. blazing saddles as a problem too. <laughs> I, but I think in the movie that what they, I go. This sounds like a nineteen twenty, like evil from the nineteen twenty one. What they would say in nineteen twenty one if it was evil, like an yeah. evil person would say that. I think that's what he was going for. Otherwise, I don't know what he was going for there. But that's what I got yeah. out of it. Yeah, I would. I would probably assume that. I mean, yeah, nineteen twenty one. I mean, yeah, you're just dropping the n word left and right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So I mean, what about the the dead girls? Would we see that today? We might. I don't know. Yeah. The, the I think we would. I just think I, of like Jordan Peele spoofed it in a, one of his films. Or not spoofed it, like almost does, does like an homage to it. Oh, okay, yeah. I think if it had a different rating today, it would. Because it's oh. what, only PG-13? It was like PG or PG-13 back in the 80s. It and there was a fully naked woman too. Yeah, like, that, that wouldn't definitely be wouldn't PG-13. Fly a, in a PG-13 movie. Or B, in any movie that wasn't like softcore porn <laughs> I guess it could be on HBO oh it could be there on HBO yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the, the the two women that were in that shot they were two different women they were never in a movie before that and never in a movie credit after that oh my goodness really? huh and I guess the young one was basically just a model she didn't really do any acting but she just I, mean, I could you, yeah I could see how she would be a model and then that old, the old lady. I mean, she just freaked me out with that cackle laugh that she had. Like, oh my god, I, I, I do not like that. <laughs> like, it, it takes a lot to like make me just like shudder. But that, that cackle laugh she had, that's what did it for me. If, did you guys ever see Stanley Kubrick's uh, two thousand one, A Space Odyssey? Oh yeah, that that's a good one too. I, I don't think Hannah's seen that one yet. No, I that, haven't. The only thing that took me out of the movie for a second because that old woman and the old man at the end of 2001 had the same makeup artist because they looked the exact same. Oh, and, they did. Oh, I never so re- took no, me out. never put two and two together. 
and he did the same editing. Like she's in the tub, now she's out of the tub, now she's back in the tub. Now she is the same as two thousand one. It kind of ends at the end like that too. But. Oh, I yeah, I I'm gonna okay. You know what? This weekend I'm gonna be watching Space Odyssey, and I'm yeah okay. I've never <laughs> noticed that before, to be honest. So if we made this movie today, who would be the actor? Who would you cast, you guys? I mean, I would cast uh, for Jack. I'd cast Bill Skarsgård. Ooh, like just his facial expressions and just the that it's like that horror vibe. He just has a horror vibe yeah. to him, especially yeah. after watching him play Pennywise. I could see him playing Jack Torrance in the movie. I thought McConaughey mm-hmm. for Jack Torrance. Ooh, okay, that's a good one. Yeah, I see. Over. Like that's almost like uh, Christian Bale. Um, yeah, some American Psycho vibe, I would think, with McConaughey. Yeah, well, yeah, maybe he's too too much. Um, maybe just nobody could really pull it off now that Jack Nicholson's done it. I think it would be really hard. There's no the thing about Jack is I don't know if you guys get the same vibe, but like every time he's in a movie, he's like, okay, this guy is the star of the movie, so I guess I'm supposed to like him. But do I like him? You know, he's just mm-hmm. he's just so. Well, he's a very like average Joe looking guy. Like he's got that very like on the surface relatable feel to him. Or but he could snap at any second. He usually does in all his yeah. That's the other thing too. It's he's that one. He's that crazy uncle in your family that you have to watch eggshells. You have to walk eggshells around when he's drinking. Yeah, yeah, that's who he is. (laughs) And as I was growing up, he he just has that late seventies, early eighties look. So like. It, mm-hmm. Like all the adult men when I knew growing up, that yeah. he just reminds me of them. Like, mm-hmm. and when we were young, you couldn't if you're a kid and you said something, they'd be like, "Shut up!" You know, it's not like yeah. today where they're like, "Oh, what do you have to say, you precious?" But it was like, <laughs> 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 but I was thinking, how about I, I was thinking Matt Damon? He was just in that movie Air where he has a bunch of weight added to him, and I, and he wouldn't be that okay. great for the movie. But if like they could change the tagline when he acts through the bathroom door and he sticks his face through the door, he could say, "How do you like them apples?" And maybe not. <laughs> Okay, that would suck, but okay. It did, but I I appreciate it though. <laughs> uh, for um, the Shelley Duvall's character, I was thinking like Christian Shaw. The uh, I think she was uh, does voice acting in, like Bob's Burgers and stuff like that. The comedian. Oh, okay. I was thinking. Um, just consider this. Winona Ryder. Ooh. Nice pull. Nice pull. <laughs> I think yeah. she could really do it, especially after what we've seen her do with like Stranger she, Things and yeah. everything. I think that she would make a really um just a really good and interesting pick for that character. Huh. Yeah, and she's another actress from born in Minnesota, just like uh Jack Nicholson mm-hmm. wanted Jessica Lane to do that, another Minnesota actress. That's who he wanted. Because oh, I guess yeah, they wanted to have like a cheerleader type. That was, you know, like had never had any trouble in her life. But I like, I like the way Shelley Duvall, how she just seemed damaged. And I, I think it was perfect. Yeah. yeah, she did like that, the pale look, the long, the, the, like she's been through a lot of stress look they gave her in the movie. And just, just how she was able to portray her was, yeah, was just, really, really good. The way she's like looking for a silver lining, but like she's mm-hmm. very timid. Um, you can tell there's those broken pieces there and she's just trying to keep everybody happy and not, you know, turn anything into a a massacre, I guess. (laughs) 
is the best way to put it. Mike, I knew you were going to do something like this, so I was like writing him down as I was watching the movie. So Stuart Allman, the guy who's interviewing Jack Torrance at the beginning for the for the spot, um, mm-hmm. he yes. would be he's per, he's like William H Macy's dad. So I think William H Macy would be perfect oh. for that role. From Fargo, oh, yeah. from yeah. Fargo, yeah. and then that doctor—it's like that would be Kathy Bates could play the doctor that just basically oh. does the little once over on the bed. As oh, he's fine. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, she was Kathy in, Bates. I absolutely. think Kathy Bates would be phenomenal yeah. for that. Yeah, and she was in Stephen King's Misery. So, well, um, that—that's such a good movie. I don't know if we were going to talk more about books versus the movie, I remember in college, my college roommate was reading Misery because it had just come out, and then that movie came out later. Um, and he thought both of them were fantastic, the movie and the and the book. No, but yeah, the book and the movie of Misery that that seemed for me that seemed to be pretty on uh, spot on. Like there was they didn't stray too far. Yeah, and and I, I think they've gotten better with movie making to try to kind of stay close to a book. I know that you read a book, obviously you get to set all the imagery in your head and everything and then when you're watching a movie you're watching someone else's interpretation of it yeah Mm -hmm. which i can always appreciate someone else's interpretations of a movie from a book but sometimes they just butcher it so much and that's why it's like even like horror movies like there's a plenty of times i've seen i can't think of any off the top of my head right now but it's like the book was really really good but then the movie they just made way too suspenseful or just way too gory and it's like this is what the audience wants well no the audience wants how the book was written mm-hmm. as as close to it as possible because they want to see that that yeah. re- or that fiction become reality you want to have a, a build up and a, and a payoff and it's not just mm-hmm. the payoff that you want to see for 90 minutes you want to have some of right. that you have to have some storytelling and back setting and some drama and pulling you in and uh, that's why I think like The Shining, like the the book has it has it's beautifully written, but the movie also has very beautifully done as well. Just Stanley Kubrick's interpretation on it, it's just it's great. And if we want to talk nineteen seventies books being made into movies, I think I think there's a chance you can make an argument for The Shining. The movie's better than the book. I know they're both great, but um, like The Godfather and Jaws are both better movies than the books, actually. Oh yeah, I've heard that. I haven't read oh, any yeah. of them, but <laughs> sometimes, sometimes you got those, you got those uh, diamonds in the rough. Like they're, they did it well. Um, a lot of a lot of things that I notice in, in rewatching it is a lot of times when something dark is being revealed, it's kind of like almost like through a mirror, uh, through a mirror, and so. Okay. Yeah. I know you could like read all sorts of symmetry into this as you're looking into your soul or different things like that. But then I just recently listened to a series of podcasts with Bill Hader on the last season of Barry, and they're asking him some questions about why he did some things. And he said sometimes when you're directing, you're not necessarily looking to get across some kind of symbolism as you're more just trying to set a feel or a feeling mm-hmm. or try to get a feeling across. Okay. And, and that might be with the mirrors and the reflection might be because of a lot of the symmetry that he has in other shots, Amir will bring you symmetry as well. Yeah. That's a good point. That's a really good use. That's a good use of the space and very uh, creative on Kubrick's part there too. That's, that's, that was really well put. That's what like, so I don't know if you guys have seen room two, three, seven. It's like a two hour documentary on the shining. <laughs> and um, no, no, actually, no, I didn't know they had a documentary. Okay. So it's, um, 
Well, I watched it th- just like I was watching a documentary. I didn't know you're kind of supposed to make fun of the people that are in the documentary because they're all... But everybody in the movie got really mad because when he goes in the office in the beginning, there's that giant window behind, you know, the desk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that shouldn't, that's an interior wall, so it shouldn't be there. And I'm like... Wh- and they're like, oh. well, you t- they take us all the way through the because they do a good job of walking you around the hotel so you kind of get a good mm-hmm. feel of it right mm-hmm. at the very beginning of the movie. And I was like, I go, but it would look so boring if you just had an interior wall there. That that window was yeah. beautiful. You can see the beautiful outside, and then they go, they're inside this hotel, but it's beautiful outside, you know, and remote. Right. And and online, everybody was getting on Seinfeld because the hallway in Seinfeld, they're like, it should be, it should be tilted because there's oh, um yeah. His wall is yep. at an angle, so the whole the and the hallway is completely straight. And I'm like, people, they're trying to film a TV show. You can't have you, you, when they film a shot in the hallway. You got to see everybody. You can't see Kramer hiding behind the wall because it's tilted. I mean, it's like, they, yeah, they, the they got to do the something. Shot comes first. That's what I say. The shot always comes first. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's it's details that really don't matter or add anything to the TV show or movie. And like. Being that realistic with, like, producing sets and just TV shows and movies and stuff in general, I feel like is a much more recent kind of phenomenon because we've got so much more to work with now with the technology we have and everything. Um, So now people are getting used to everything looking, like, exactly how it should and everything as well. Um Sorry, I don't know exactly where I was going with that, but uh, they can keep continuity a lot easier than like way back then. Because, yes. like you, like to your point, Mike, they're doing it for the shot, so they build this shot. Oh, now we need to add this as well, so it like an afterthought potentially as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, and like I, like you'll see this in the documentary when Jack's at the typewriter when Shelley comes in and asks if she can see his writing, and then there's a rocking chair behind him, and then he looks. And then it's gone the next scene. It's like, and they're like, what is Kubrick oh. trying to say? And I'm like, I think they filmed it at two different times and they had a yeah. continuity. I, I, think I think that think one was just an honest mistake. <laughs> I had him do it about 150 times and Nicholson finally got mad and threw the chair over out the window or something like that. That had too. <laughs> so yeah, oh, we like, didn't talk. Kubrick had him do every scene 150 times. So like um, the actor that played Danny, he always seemed exhausted, which was like the perfect energy for him. And then yeah. Shelley Duvall was just so frazzled. And I think it was because of all those shots. What do you guys think? Yeah. Well, yeah, there's uh, Shelley Duvall actually had to get medical de- uh, medical attention because she was so dehydrated from crying from doing that one scene over and over and over. I would, it would, like it, but you can see it on her face too. I'm like, I don't even think she was getting sleep during the the production. Like, like the further the movie progresses, I'm like, I don't think they used as much makeup. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is funny because do you guys know what movie she went and filmed almost immediately after this one? No. no. Oh, Popeye. She was olive oil. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, I actually, I never saw that movie. Thank oh geez I wish I could be you. Yeah. <laughs> oh well, good. I will yeah. steer very clear from that one. Feeling a bit better about that one now. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Thought you were going to be like, oh, it's, it's such a great movie and everything. I'm like, oh, I gotta watch it now. No, it's just she went from being terrorized to movie to terrorizing people in the next movie she was in, which is just just because it was so bad. It wasn't her fault. She was good in it actually, but. <laughs> So, 
Um, and then Robin, she was in Robin. Robin Williams played Popeye. He, they actually wanted him to play. He, um, he was actually up for the for the Shining too to play Jack. Oh, and then, um, but he was too young at that time, mm. and and uh, Kubrick only knew him from Mork and Mindy, and he's like, this guy's too psychotic, and so. That's fair. Okay. Yeah. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. Can't have somebody who's a com- who's like in comedy, I guess. Well, I mean, he walked into his Mork and Mindy audition and sat like upside down on his head for the whole audition. Oh, did he? That's how he landed. The oh, ball. yes. Oh. <laughs> wow. It doesn't surprise me in the slightest, though. No, yeah, like so, like just like he does in the show, he did that in his audition. He walked in and did that right away and did his whole audition like that. <laughs> <laughs> so what I said about Popeye is the same with Mork and Mindy. You're better if you've never seen an episode. You're better. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Brian probably Brian probably wanted to cover that next week. Sorry, Brian. No, <laughs> shaking his head. No, He's going no. <laughs> Not going to dignify that with a response. <laughs> so so like do, do you think this would work now as a netflix or whatever as a 10-part streaming if they remade it into a 10-part streaming what are your guys' thoughts on that i mean i think so because i feel like you could get more of the backstory and more of a better build-up to the finale i feel like you could dive more into jack's character and to maybe you can even dive a little bit more into what the Shining actually is as well. I just wouldn't want them to go like, like remember the dome at all? Oh, the TV show? Yeah, where it was like, like the book's not that long of Stephen King's The Dome, and then they try to make it like four seasons long. No, I feel like this would be like, like you said, like a mini series, yeah. and this is it, like one limited series, and just just keep it like that. But I feel like Netflix would be like a cash grab, so it's like I'm like on the fence about no, it. Netflix has been doing a lot of limited series though, okay, um, and they've I done like really better, good yeah. at them. So, like a one and done, but I but back to. About the ten part series, yeah, I feel like they could go, they could dive a little bit more into everything with having hour long episodes. I think we, I think you could get with some of the cast members if you passed them right. I think you, I think it would work very well as a Netflix show this uh, this day and age. Yeah, you could kind of do a little bit of a lost approach where you focus on one of the characters on each of these first, you know, four, five, or six episodes. Um, and then lead into then the next three episodes be that rising tension and then finish it up with the last two. Yeah, exactly. It would be it'd be good. You could just you could do a bit more with it and I feel like that is as dramatic and as fantastic as the ending of The Shining was, I feel like there could be there's always could be more too. If you had more backstory, does it feel like it would be a, even a better payoff or just that we'd have more of it um leading up to it and it, it would kind of extend the um, the payoff out a little a, a little bit longer. I think um, I just think in general it would be really good. I mean, the way people get into stories and the backgrounds mm-hmm. of the character and stuff because everybody wants to understand the why and yeah. the how and you want to feel that. what that character is feeling, yeah, so to speak. And you want to get you want to get to know him so well that you're you feel like you're there. And I think that's what you could do more so with these miniseries compared to a movie. Because, I mean, obviously, you don't want to sit through a two-and-a-half-hour movie, but you'll sit through six hours' worth of a miniseries, right? Yes, 100%. <laughs> Absolutely. 
I think I'd skip the episode where they where they concentrate on Grady because he'd be like his his daughters and his wife were acting up, so he had to correct them. Oh, that's oh the other one. she had that's, such an issue with that. That's the other part that would not fly today. <laughs> I if a man ever said something to me about me needing to be corrected or another woman needing to be corrected, absolutely not. Oh, she was you better hope fighty. I'm walking away yeah, like from the, that conversation. Like, <laughs> picture this yeah. times ten last night. <laughs> yeah, that, that that would be that would be a no fly zone for today, as it should be. <laughs> well, that is the wrong, just wrong yeah. use of the word corrected. Completely <laughs> and wrong. And the way use he said it, correct. Yeah. It's, it's so like. You can't help but your mind wander, and you're just thinking of like the most you think messed of the worst up, things. messed up thing you could think of is to be corrected. Oh yeah, and I was gonna say. So the first time I saw this movie, like when me and Brian were kids, I was hoping Brian would agree with me. But the, it was like Sunday night movies was the big thing, because. And you'd get the TV edited version because when movies were gone out of the movie theater, we weren't old enough to see it. So then it's you missed it. It's but gone. then it'd be yeah. on Sunday night TV, like what, fourteen months later, over a year later. And um, so the scene that got me when I was a kid is they they tried to sanitize it for the TV, and the the TV edited made it so much worse. But when he's in the room with the guy dressed as a bear, they just show the part where they're staring out at Wendy. And um, and it looks so menacing. And then now, when you go back, you go, "Oh, they're staring out with shame, or whatever they're staring out with." But yeah. when you see it when you're a kid, you're like, "It looks like they're menacing her." And this that was so much worse than oh. the actual edit they have now. That's fair. That's fair. Both. Yeah, I could definitely see that. That yeah, just yeah. And so, like <laughs> in know. 1980s, we didn't have a term. But do you think that's the fir- the first uh, furry that we ever seen on film? I would that love to believe might so. Might be like the first pop culture reference to a furry. Yep. I would say because <laughs> that 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 seems like what a furry would have been when in its beginning stages. It had the like old co- like the old style of costume, which just made it ten times worse. Oh yeah, like those original <laughs> Halloween you did have the costumes. Flap in the back, though. Did you see that? Oh god! <laughs> oh no! <laughs> They were still developing the costumes then. Yeah. <laughs> Just look back at college mascots from that same era. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I don't need nightmares, thanks. Oof. <laughs> I think the most he has is my commentary living in his brain. Literally, now. her commentary from last night, I can't <laughs> stop thinking about it. It was seriously like, put your tongue back in your mouth and like, hey, why is he just staring so much? <laughs> Oh man, what uh, was the, the cranberry juice? Oh, okay, 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 okay. So, <laughs> so when the elevator first opens up, right, and the blood starts rushing out, all I hear from the left hand side of the couch is it's just cranberry juice. That's all it is. It's just somebody spilled a lot of cranberry juice. It's just a lot of cranberry juice. It's fine. It's fine. It's just cranberry juice. <laughs> That's actually true, though, because like they said. Like when the the original trailer came out, they're like, we can't show that trailer. You can't show blood on trailers. And that's what Stanley Kubrick said. He goes, it's just fake blood. And they said, oh, okay then. So what did they think? It was real blood? What did they? Right. So then they showed it. They're like, oh, oh, it's fake blood? Okay, we can show it then. It's like, what did they think it was? (laughs) But then then it takes a darker turn. Like, it's real blood, all right? How... Who, where did it come from? That's that's why I was just saying it was cranberry juice over like, and over again. Because my mind kept going, blood? how is many bodies blood? does it take to get this much blood? Yeah, right, like, yeah, how, how much blood bodies? is this? Because it's a lot. Like, it's filling up in here. <laughs> like, 
I, I just, yeah, I agree. I justify that's supposed to be, we didn't even talk about this, but it's built on an Indian burial ground. So that's, yep. Yes. Yep. Oh, yes. That that's was the whole I thing. As soon as they said that at the beginning of the movie, I was like, oh, well, there's your explanation for everything. I will say, Hannah, within 25, 30 minutes of the movie, had it pretty much down of what is going to happen. I'm really wow. good at figuring out plots. Like, really. She's like, okay, there's going to be something with the kid, and this dad looks like he's going to go psychotic or something like that. Okay, so we didn't even talk about another one, a holy shit moment, Hannah. So I want to know, what about when he was saying red rum? Did that say anything to you when he was saying red rum? Oh, my God. I was, I was like, go back to bed. Go lay down. Be quiet. Go back to bed. It's fine. Like, we don't need any red rum, thanks. <laughs> But then when the, the mirror flips, when he writes it, and then the mirror flips, did that, did yeah. that get you? I, I mean, I knew what, what Red Rum the other way was, so oh, I wasn't super okay. surprised by it. But <laughs> I thought it was a good setup for it because I know that, I mean, obviously this movie like really made that whole um, pop culture reference. Like this is where the pop culture reference comes from. So I'm sure when it first came out, it was like a phenomenal reveal and everything. But I've just been aware of it, <laughs> so. And then, the, and then I think the last holy shit moment is the picture from July Fourth, nineteen twenty-one. Did that shock you at all, or anything? Yeah, so that made me start picking it apart. About <laughs> like, okay, so is he like? Is there like this prophecy where there's doppelgangers that return to this hotel every? how many years and then murder their family um was it like a reincarnation of the same person like just delving into it like why is it that he actually is there and they look the same and everything because when they're talking to each other they're two different people so it was like in my mind with that conversation is that his image of what this person looked like um so i don't know there's so many ways you could go with it i feel what I kept thinking about is they, they had, at that point, had been, what, three months in the hotel by themselves, so they didn't... Something you'd like be that, bored yeah. once you look at every single study, every single picture that was hanging up, just out of boredom. <laughs> you would think. Right? You would think. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, well, you just seen it for the first time, Hannah, but I think it's a movie that's gotten better with age. What do you... I mean, what do you guys offer? Honestly, I, I thought it was phenomenal. Now. It's It's a work of art. Everything that they did with it was perfect, in my opinion, uh, without having, you know, read the book and everything. But as far as it being a horror movie, it, it really encapsulates, um, like, that whole classic horror movie, like, kind of vibe and image that um, kind of conjures in your brain when you're thinking about that. It, it really just did everything right. Yeah, I mean, I would say seeing it for the 101th time... <laughs> It is a movie. I like how you can actually pick out new things every time in the background. Like anytime after I watch a movie once or twice, I'm always looking in the background trying to see like, is there little key things I miss? Little Easter yeah. eggs, little uh, uh, subtle nods to like. And just in general, the set was phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, the sets. I mean, there's <laughs> they're so they're not like super minimalistic, but they have enough going on to where it's like. It just it feels a hundred percent real too. Like the the attention to detail is what I love in a Stanley Kubrick movie. Yeah, and the only thing I think with age, like those helicopter shots at the beginning were amazing, and and, and it was a helicopter. Now you see it all the time because they're using drones, drones. you know. Right. But yeah. that was an actual helicopter, probably three thousand dollars an hour or whatever they were paying back then. Yeah. Something, yeah. It's like, and you didn't see that 
you didn't see that too much happening back in the seventies and eighties. There. Yeah, they pulled out. They pulled out a lot of stops for the movie. Mm-hmm. Do you ever watch uh, movies like that you've watched many times, but then turn the closed captioning on because sometimes you pick up dialogue that background characters are saying that you don't necessarily hear in the movie, or is that just me? Because so I keep, for me. I keep um, the captions <laughs> on almost always because I snack so much. And um, my favorite is actually when you catch that the the actor may have changed the line because the caption is completely different. So I assume they're yes. going off the scripts with the caption. Yep. Um, and just like funny little stuff like that or how they describe different like sound effects. <laughs> that's funny. That, that's the best. Is, yeah. Some are better. Some will like music plays in the background and some will be, you know, Fugue Number no. 5 by Bach or something. You know, they're yeah. really specific. Um, I I started doing it with Game of Thrones because you would catch dialogue in the back that you couldn't hear. Maybe you could if you had the sound blasted, but just with normal well, sound. For on. Game of Thrones, you need it for the names. Like, what the hell? You don't know anybody's, everybody's yeah. name is the Tuku Tuki. I believe that. Right? <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> I, do, I use it for train spotting and Braveheart because they're Scottish accents. If you put oh, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I just thought of a question here because Hannah brought it up. So remember when um, Wendy and the doctor were sitting in the beginning of the movie in the living room and uh, Wendy's cigarette, when she's waving it around and everything, and you see the ash just like, it's like this, it's like an inch long, but it like moves with the cigarette. Hannah and I were trying to figure it out. What do you think? I think I figured it out. Was it CGI'd in or was that just a unlit cigarette with a perfect mound of ash on it i think it was edited in because the the ash doesn't like look like it fell until after like the shot changed and then went back to her and then suddenly part of it was gone but remember you guys just said cgi this it wasn't he really said cgi thing. yeah it wasn't really a thing <laughs> i mean because it's though. it's weird at how fluid it moves but at the same time i guess i could see maybe like the way she some moves with the cigarette of, some sort of editing or tampering that or anything because it might it's also a stage cigarette too so oh yes, yeah brian, brian. for you young kids start tampering with all these cigarettes they were much better <laughs> <laughs> you youngins and you're okay, not so smoking I, I just wanted to ask you youngins like, as brian calls youngins. you what did you think about Wendy smoking right in the face of Danny when he's eating his little peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Or I felt so bad for the little guy. I'm, my throat hurt for him. <laughs> I, I, my mom used to do that as like a kid because she'd smoke all the time. So I'm like, I'm like, I know what that's like. Just you breathe in and just that smoke stays in your nose and mm-hmm. disgusting. I mean, that's kind of what it was like just walking outside yesterday. My coworker, my coworker went out for a smoke break, and I poked my head out there, and I was like, "Why'd you even bring a cigarette? There's enough smoke around here for you. <laughs> Just breathe deep." <laughs> I, I live off of like 70th Street, and I can see across the rip, Mississippi River. And yesterday, I was uh, going down to a wake and got onto 70th Street, and nope, it was just smoky mm-hmm. haze. You couldn't even see uh, like the refinery in St. Paul Park. It was that bad. Wow, yeah. yeah. Damn. Usually it's like that only when it's like snowing or something. Yeah, you right. can even see across like the lakes that are around us uh too. I noticed yesterday. They're not necessarily huge lakes either. Oh, no, like <laughs> maybe a mile not no not even a mile wide. Yeah. Like well, yeah. And then it was like I work from home so I have a, a patio door and it was like an orange hue coming in. 
Mm-hmm. You know, at oh, yeah. Yeah, one the in the afternoon, not like the sun is setting. I say it was weird because it's just so much of that smoke was, in the air. It reminded me of a Stephen King novel because it was like it had an agenda. Like it was like, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> well, it looked like the start of the uh, we did it last last podcast, but the start of the Blues Brothers, where there's all that smoke in the air and industrial stuff. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was the same year as this movie, 1980. And then, so we got Empire Strikes Back, Airplane, uh, The Shining, and they're all just totally different movies. Wow, that, yeah. I'm like, that's a lot of big movies in one year. That's amazing. Yeah. All right, so if you could go back in time and see like the premiere of one of those movies, which one would you choose? Star Wars. Probably Star Wars. Yeah. All hands down. I would love to. I would love to watch how Star Wars ends. To witness like that cinematography yeah. and that kind of genre, kind of busting onto the scene the way it did um, for the first time, like as it's as it did, that would be just really interesting and cool, and just really add to the whole um, just the whole experience. Yeah, not that like all like. Don't get me wrong. I like the remastered stuff because they like. Oh, is it episode five? If you watch the like the original VHS, VHS or when it was released in theaters, you could see when they're on Hoth, you could see between where they had like all the panels up for the <laughs> background, and now you can't because they edited it all mm-hmm. all together. I'd like to see like stuff like that would be really cool. Um, just the minute little details that they overlooked while editing it. A good point. So. And yeah, me, me and Brian have talked about that on the show before. We, I kind of like the old Star Wars before they CGI'd it because it was. Mm-hmm. It seemed like I like CGI. It looks amazing, but there's like no dimension to it when you when they're using those models. It just seemed like oh, it was yeah. cold and. Do you know how cold. they made the lightsabers? In the original movies. Uh, tell me, I don't remember. Um, they actually went through the film and frame by frame scratched the lightsabers in and added oh. the color. Oh. <laughs> Go on. Should we move on to our next segment? Sure. Yes, we're all giving The Shining a thumbs up, right? Yeah. Yeah, hundred mm-hmm. yeah, percent. If you haven't seen it, good. make sure you watch it. That too. Yeah. And since we're yeah, and I would say go see two thousand one Stanley Kubrick's two thousand one because you're just talking about Star Wars. That movie looks like it was made two weeks ago. I don't know how he did it, but it seems like it's a brand new movie. So. It, it it definitely holds up every time I watch it. It's it's it. I yeah, no clue how he did it, but yeah. Well, I mean, I was really impressed even with The Shining and everything. I was like, this looks much newer than it is, just watching it. Yeah, he's, yeah, like you said, he had that like Wes Anderson kind of dreamscape quality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so now I'm going to play a little sound clip, that, and I'm going to see if you guys have a reference to it. So okay. we're moving into our next subject now. Uh, Brian, what's our subject going to be? Our subject's going to be the Ice Cream Man versus Dairy Queen. You picked the right people. We are ice cream fanatics. I'm you, tell you what it is. I'm your ice cream man, stop me when I'm passing by. Oh my, my, I'm your ice cream man, stop me when I'm passing by. See, now all my flavors are guaranteed to satisfy. So, Hold on a second, baby. Hand it off, did you know who that is? No. No. <laughs> well, it's a trick one because they're they're known for rocking out. That's Van Halen. No, no way. Yes, it's my okay, favorite Van Halen. No, that doesn't. That didn't sound like Van Halen. It didn't sound that. It's uh. Well, see, with the band like Eddie, 
Eddie and Alex Van Halen always wanted to rock out, and David Lee Roth was kind of corny. And so I, I hope that doesn't lead them to him breaking up. But no, I think that had something to do with the breakup. <laughs> yeah. David Lee Roth always wanted to come in and do corny stuff like that and stuff. And But I love David Lee. I, love all, I mean, but... it, honestly, it sounded great. I mean, yeah, so... I liked it. I'm just like Van Halen. No, it don't sound like them. But no, yeah. No, but they got the sound down right. Here's another sound clip you might not get, but this one's perfect because it is so universal. Every, every kid in the planet has done this at one time. So this one's a little longer. It's almost a minute long. So. And no matter what was going on, the ice cream man came and stopped. You'd be getting some marbles and shit, and you hear... Ice cream! Ice cream! The ice cream man is coming! The ice cream man is coming! Yep. Come to the window and be throwing change. You saying, "Get your father toasted almond bar and get your brother icy and get yourself vanilla cone and bring back my chain." And you catch all that shit and run down the street, top speed, chasing the ice cream truck. Ice cream! Ice cream man always drove extra block though, and I know he's seen us and shit, but I think he just be in the car with his sister and watch me how fast I make these motherfuckers run. Um, is that Dave Chappelle? <laughs> that's it's one of his contemporaries it's it's eddie murphy yeah i was gonna oh, say okay yeah. it's it's sound i mean yeah okay now i can hear it so le, yeah let me explain it to you guys so like eddie murphy used to be i know now he does the voice and shrek of the donkey and stuff <laughs> yeah but he used mm-hmm. to be like um like elvis and eminem like where everybody over the age of 40 just despised him because he was so brash and so crude and everybody over the oh. age of 40 just hate him. And mm-hmm. all I was a kid at the time. And um, I have a story I've never told on here, and I won't tell it now. But it's like I had the best two weeks of my life. And then that we went over to watch the HBO premiere of that. And then um, it, I later witnessed some uh, pretty scary gunplay. But, <laughs> so, oh, but it was like that was like the most amazing two weeks of my life because I was just um, listening to Eddie Murphy back and forth or constantly in a constant loop and then that new special came out and they invited me over to the party because i was doing so many eddie murphy imitations and then and then nice. the, the tail end of the party turned into deer hunter it wasn't part of me but it was like it was oh all. my goodness <laughs> <laughs> i'll tell that story sometime it's pretty miraculous but it's like it's a gen x story that's for sure it's like ah. <laughs> so so ice cream man versus dairy queen well you, this is a hard-hitting subject. It's going to yeah, be controversial. Yeah, so Ice Cream Man kind of started with the the guy who was the founder of the Good Humor Ice Cream Company figured out a way to get a chocolate coating around ice cream. Um, and his daughter then ate it, and she's like, it was such a mess. And his son's like, well, why don't you put a stick in it? And he had made, um, like, lollipops before, so he put sticks in it. And uh, voila, it's like an ice cream bar that he could sell to people walking on the street, and they wouldn't get their hands messy. Back in the 1890s, before prior to pasteurization, people got a lot of ice cream poisoning. And so it kind of had a eh, reputation. So when he started the good humor with the trucks, he made sure that the trucks were all like, like white and everyone wore white uniforms and they had a detailed cleaning thing. And it really kind of then took off. It was a cheap treat that was available to you know, right there on the street and it looked clean and it, it, it was clean. So that's where the ice cream man kind of started. It was like in the early 1920s. Oh, okay. 1920s. Wow. 
They're keeping it cold on ice or what? They just uh-huh. started with elect- electricity able to like run um, like that way to keep it cool as opposed to yeah, blocks of ice. Like ice cream carts that would have been prior to that that had the whole mm-hmm. reputation with foodborne illness would have been sitting on blocks of ice and i even read a story where they'd like you'd scoop out the ice cream into a cup to someone they'd eat it and then lick it out and they'd hand it back they just kind of wipe it out put the ice cream in and hand it to the next person and i think that's what the spanish flu started from (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah it's gotta be it (laughs) um but yeah pasteurization and then um electric electrical uh cooling helped that um and so then in 56, these brothers who uh, were working at an ice cream, like a soft serve machine, and I'll go back, when I went to Dairy Queen, I'll go back in the history of the of the soft serve machine. They figured out a way, when you just would take a soft serve machine and put it in a truck, like like a regular ice cream truck, it bounced around too much and wouldn't work. So they were figuring out a way to uh, get a soft serve machine into a, a custom-made truck, and then they started Mr. Softy in 1956 in Philly. <laughs> And then that's still around today. Good Humor kind of had some problems in the, if it was in the 70s or early 80s with some lawsuits over, ironically, um, foodborne illnesses in their ice cream. And they ended up now they just sell, like you'll see them in grocery stores still to this day. Good Humor mm-hmm. stuff, but they don't have ice cream trucks anymore. Interesting. So where did the creepy music start though? Why is it always the creepy clown music? I I actually have some fun facts about the like ice cream truck music. Okay. Um, I can't remember what the name of it is called. Turkey in the um, straw. Is it what? turkey in the straw? Turkey in the straw. Um, it might be. I'm I'm completely blanking on the name. Um, but it was. I think it was like one truck that started playing it one time, and then like everybody else kind of started like copying it. Um. The original ice cream truck music, though, has some um, issues with uh, kind of racial things in it. So within the last couple of years, Snoop Dogg actually remade a like completely fun, kid-friendly ice cream truck music that's free to any ice cream truck driver to use on their truck. Oh, wow. I, I saw that when I was looking into this. It was um, used in uh, ice, I, like, I, like ice cream shops in the... In the 1890s, it was a version of Turkey in the Straw, which is a version of an old British song, The Old Rose Tree. But it was also used in minstrel shows and had very racist connotations. Yes, yeah. Uh, The Mr. Softy, they used a different one. It was like the Whistler and his dog, and then someone made lyrics for it. So the Mr. Softy trucks had a different sound, but the prototypical one is the one that you were speaking to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was used in ice cream parlors um, prior to the ice cream trucks. Okay. And then Brian, you got to deliver this line. You got to be Stephen Wright for a minute because I can't oh. pull that line. But w- yes. what did what did they play in his neighborhood? Uh, the ice cream truck in my neighborhood played Helter Skelter. <laughs> <laughs> if you ever haven't seen the so people that aren't uh, native to the seventies and eighties like we are, if you haven't seen the comics Stephen Wright, you have to look him up. Okay, because it has those kind of one liners. Yeah, but, after yeah. I was done. After I was done and being in my Eddie Murphy loop, I went straight into a Stephen Wright loop. <laughs> now, um, Dairy Queen, which we think of as a Minnesota thing, because the international headquarters of Dairy Queen are in, in Minnesota. Um, oh, used to be right off of four ninety four. Off of four ninety four in Bloomington, um, and they may have moved recently, but it was there for years. But they're still in Minnesota. Um, but the first one opened in Joliet, 
Illinois in 1940. Now, Joliet, we talked a lot about a lot about uh, you know Joliet Jake and our Blues Brothers thing. Um, but it was right off of Route 66. So the inventor of the soft serve ice cream machine teamed up with an ice cream shop owner, and they opened that first Dairy Queen in 1940. They invented that soft serve machine in in 38, and then he took it to this guy had an ice cream shop in Kanaki, Illinois. Um, Gopher fans, nonetheless, where uh, Chris Hotman Bell's from. Um, and they sold just a ton of it. It was a soft serve. I mean, this is something brand new, and we all love soft serve. So then in 40, they opened that first Dairy Queen in, in Joliet. And then um, the Dilly Bar is a Minnesota invention. Uh, uh, the owner of the one in Moorhead, Minnesota, which is still in operation today, is the one that first did the dilly bar in 54 and then in 55 they did it uh country or chain wide oh okay and then my favorite um being a blizzard fan that came out in 1985 and which means i was 15 when i first saw it um i was working at the minnesota zoo they had a dairy queen at the minnesota zoo and that's the first time i saw a a blizzard and they actually you know tipped the cup upside down and it didn't Mm -hmm. spill out it's like oh that's amazing it's not just dripping onto the floor like typical soft serve (laughs) yeah i didn't know that the they would do the cup thing back then i thought that was a newer thing yeah i did they went away from it then for a while while, and then they like brought it back and it was a huge thing again well now they'll only do it for one of them because it takes too much time in the drive-thru also, sometimes oh. some Dairy Queens won't do it because they top certain blizzards with it. So it's not just mixed in. They put the stuff on top. Oh, yeah. And then yeah. that's... There's, there's signs on certain Dairy Queen, like, stores that say that they won't do it. All the extra Heath that. bits, right? Because the Heath blizzard is the best mm-hmm. one, right? Yeah. Yeah, if you're an old man. I'm a little yeah. partial to um, <laughs> Reese's and Cheesecake pieces in my blizzards. Yeah, the Strawberry Cheesequake or whatever they had, that one was pretty good. Yeah, or Oreos and cheese. Yeah, yeah. Just anything cheesecake is I, just delicious. I'm a sucker yeah. for anything cheesecake. <laughs> so for me, growing up, I grew up out in Coates, small town, um, just on the outskirts of the Twin Cities, and obviously there was never an ice cream truck there. So then when I had kids and we're in the suburbs and we heard an ice cream truck, it was we almost forced the kids to say, oh, here's some money, go get some ice cream. Yeah, and then we had a confused, we had a jar. Like, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. What, there's this creepy guy driving up in a van that plays music, and you want me, me to go to take, take food from him? From the people in the vans. <laughs> yeah. Isn't this what you told me exactly to not go towards? Like, now you want us to give him <laughs> well, well, money too? This for your parents. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so we had, a, we had we had we had a jar, and there would be money in it. So then it's not like Eddie Murphy's mom had to throw you know change out the window at him. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so that was that was fun, and you could then they got of course it's it's ice cream, and their parents are saying it's okay, so they got to where yeah they could hear it way before we could. It's like it's <laughs> it's you know it's it's in a different suburb right now. Oh no, the ice cream truck's coming. That was my experience because I I lived on a gravel road that was three miles long, and there was like only seven kids lived there, and he would come down that road, and you could hear him, and we're like, why is he coming? It was so surreal, and then we would just act like Eddie Murphy totally because it was so surreal, but. <laughs> So, well, so was up, Ice Cream Man still a big deal when you guys were younger? Awesome. So I grew up in a small town in kind of northwestern Minnesota. We didn't have an Ice Cream Man. Um, the Dairy Queens that we had were the ones that were only open during summer. Um, 
Like there, they, there was no inside. The inside was only for the employees. You poor um, So like when I would come and visit family in the cities, if there was an ice cream truck, I would lose my mind because I never got ice cream trucks. The closest thing to an ice cream truck I had was Schwann's because everybody up there would get like <laughs> stuff delivered from Schwann's all the time because uh, we were just out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, so that's that's about it. That's the closest thing I have. You grew up in. I mean, I grew up in the white picket fence suburb, like Midwestern suburb. Just think of anything, and that's what I grew up in. But oddly enough, we never had an ice cream man come around. We'd only have the ice cream man around when we went to the lake that was really close to where I lived. Uh-huh. Like, he'd only come around there. He'd never go into the suburbs. <laughs> that's, that's easy. That's like fishing in a stocked fishing pot. I, it really is. <laughs> yeah, I spent a lot of money a few summers in a row. <laughs> we, um, I was coaching my son one year. And uh, soft serve ice cream truck. So it wasn't this Mr. Softy, but it was some some local guy had got a machine, a soft serve machine put into his truck and pulled up into the parking lot while we were playing uh, the ball game. And the kids were distracted enough that we were like, okay, fine. And everyone went over and, and got some. And then went, we resumed the game when they all ate their ice cream. Mm-hmm. Because it's it's just, it's a game, right? We're here to have fun. We're not, none yeah, of those yeah. kids, none of those kids are going to be in the major leagues. Ain't that the truth? Just being honest. (laughs) Always remember allowing, getting allowed to go and have ice cream uh, between like the second and third inning. Oh, second and third. Whoa! Oh, you're fresh in the game. Well, they only we only got like about five innings in when they're little and everyone walks and have run limits. Oh, we're about halfway through. That makes sense. I was gonna say nine nine innings is a lot for those little legs. <laughs> I, have you guys ever been shamed? I got uh, shamed one time for it was the same thing. I was trying to buy ice cream for my daughter, and she wasn't all excited about it. And one of the other parents was like, "Well, you know, they sell meth out of those things, and Trace is going to the ice cream." And I was like, "Come on!" I go, "We got to live life. Come on." You're like, "And I'll take life? some meth too." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, can I get a little actual sprinkle on top, please? That'll probably calm her down, if nothing else. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> oh yeah, there we go. Hey. Well, I was just um, drove by the Dairy Queen that's in Farmington, Minnesota, and I was telling my son the story. So, um, one of our uh, girl that went to Rosemont High School three years ahead of us ended up writing on the Drew Carey show, and she had at one point had worked at that Dairy Queen. So, the Dairy Queen in Farmington, Minnesota gets name checked on the Drew Carey show. She kind of slipped it into the script. Oh, or Drew wow. Carey says something, and it's like, and something's like that. Like at the Dairy Queen in Farmington, Minnesota. So, I thought that was kind of. He also puts, from time to time, he puts contacts in and he grows his hair out and he'll walk around the Mall of America for five hours and nobody says a word to him. <laughs> if, he, if he doesn't have glasses or short hair, he can't. You don't right yeah. now. He's, yeah. he's a guy. He's a dude, yeah. <laughs> um, I, so the Dairy Queen that was by my high school, the high school wasn't in my hometown. I graduated somewhere else. But um, my high school is very close to Hazelden. And I remember when I was in high school, a bunch of kids came to school the next day excited because while they were working at Dairy Queen, somehow Robin Williams convinced the folks at Hazelden to bring him to Dairy Queen and get ice cream. So he went in and they all got to meet him and they took pictures with him and everything. (laughs) (laughs) I can just see him ordering everything in the Aladdin's voice or something. I don't know. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I, but I was like, man, leave it to Robin Williams. He's the one who would who would get Hazelden to let him go to Dairy Queen up the road and get the ice cream. 
Should we should we explain to our listeners in New Zealand what Hazelton is? Oh yeah, we should. So Hazelton is a treatment center in Minnesota that covers treatment for um, a variety of things, and I believe uh, Robin Williams was there to treat his depression and anxiety. Um, and there's a lot of famous people who have gone to Hazelden, like Ozzy Osbourne. Um, oh my gosh, there's so Those many. are the only two I know. What was that, Brian? A world class facility. Yeah, it is a world class facility. Yeah. It's yeah. So that beats my Dairy Queen story. I just was listening to um, the podcast of Wait Wait Don't Tell Me from NPR Radio, and one of the questions is like they each person says a thing from the news, and the one was there's a orangutan at the Atlanta Zoo that knows the directions to the nearest Dairy Queen. Like, if you oh, get the orangutan in the car with you, it'll point you to get to the Dairy Queen. I don't know. I think that one comes really close. That's, that's a good one. <laughs> imagine just pulling up to a Dairy Queen with your, <laughs> with your orangutan With your buddy. orangutan, yeah. It's just like, <laughs> yeah, he got me here. What of it? He's got a little yeah, wallet. Like, <laughs> until he tipped the blizzard over, and then he'll be like, okay, you can give it to me now. Okay. <laughs> you guys got to watch anyway. Any which way but loose with uh, Clint Eastwood, because that's we pretty much just you just guys just described the whole plot of that movie. It's an oh, orangutan. Okay. Oh, in a well, there we go. There we go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the other thing, and this is I don't mean it to be a humble brag, but when the kids were little, if they did something great in a ball game or whatever, because it was summer, we'd take them to Dairy Queen. So um, the last couple of years, I played in an adult men's softball league again after taking like 15 years off, and I hit a home run. And I texted my wife, like, oh, yeah, I had home run. She's like, oh, well, then you got to stop and bring us Dairy Queen. <laughs> uh-huh. So you get to pay. That's a good deal. <laughs> um, I, I, I had to pay, but, yeah, it was kind of fun. And then I hit one later in the season, and I didn't bring it. My daughter's like, well, where's the Dairy Queen? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, man. <laughs> I remember in my small town with those two Dairy Queens, they would always open up just before the school year ended. And you will probably never hear of this happening anywhere ever again. But between it being the small town and, like, the early 2000s, um, on the last day of school, my bus driver would stop at one of the Dairy Queens, and he would buy Dairy Queen for all of his, all of the kids who rode on the bus before he brought us home. <laughs> and our parents were like, yeah, ride. that's fine. That's cool. <laughs> Sure, he's like you know endangering kids, not bringing them home right away. But that guy needs a Nobel Prize. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, I'm sure he checked with all the parents and everything beforehand. I don't, well, I don't, I don't know. A small town USA. Small town, but I, I mean, mean, name something else that wouldn't happen in today's society. In today, but that, but that wasn't today. That was when it was apparently still just safe enough. <laughs> just. Enough. I brought ice cream home from work, so well, I'm aren't you lucky? One last thing that I saw um, is. One of the articles that I, I read was, I think, published like June 5th, so it's really recent, is could the end of the ice cream truck be near uh, due to rising ice cream costs, fuel costs, and the cost of vendor permits? And I'm like, I don't know, because it seems like there's now, at least um, here in Minnesota, and I don't know about across the country, like a food truck boom. I know there's the food yeah. truck, the show on, yeah. the, on the food network and everything, but is it maybe that there's other the dessert type things or there is that um you know food trucks sometimes have desserts as well because i know there's a, a, a hockey mom's brownie food truck that's just yeah you know, oh yeah dessert. we actually had hockey mom's brownie truck uh work for the ice castles every winter and we have them come out and do that's our food truck there okay um you know i think economically i could see 
where the food truck might, or not the food truck, the ice cream truck might be um, kind of falling out of relative, being relative and with less people doing it due to the cost and everything. However, I think if more ice cream trucks actually hung out at those food truck festivals. <laughs> well, that might, but, yeah. Because yeah, you don't have to drive around a neighborhood that will come to you. Mm-hmm. It's like the yeah. food truck in Austin's area just hanging out at the lake where everyone went. Exactly. Yeah. It's just like, you, yeah, you hang out where the foot traffic is. But I say, I think not necessarily ice cream trucks are going away. They're just evolving into more of a bougie food well, truck. Most I of mean, them are privately You look at them, you got all this rolled so. ice cream now coming out of these food trucks. And I just, it's, I think it's just that they're maturing, maybe. I don't know if that's the right it word. Might, it might be evolving. Evolving, We're at the 100-year yes. mark, so. Yeah, See, there we go. True. Can't stay the same for a hundred years and expect to keep in business. Yeah, right. unless you're exactly. People get tired of that same old. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That's the problem I have with food trucks is they're they're like stationary. I kind of wish it was like Eddie Murphy was saying. I wish they'd drive the extra two blocks and you have to keep chasing. Yeah, them. can we get some like taco trucks running through the neighborhood and playing their music so we all know when they're around and way better yeah. than DoorDash. Tacos and margaritas. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> oh, I would run after a taco margarita. Honey, the margarita truck is here. Do you want anything? <laughs> Uh, so Austin and Hannah, it's been awesome having you. Um, yeah, it's been great to be on. on. Thank you. Please tell me, please tell me where I can hear the Bleeding Grave podcast at. Uh, you can hear the Bleeding Grave on Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, YouTube, uh, Stitcher, pretty much everywhere. I think the I, only I, place we're not on is Apple. Yeah, Music. if it's if it has to do with Apple, we're not we're not on there. That's where I but, first looked for you and didn't find you, so. Now, now it now it all makes sense. <laughs> yeah, you can listen to the newest episode every week on our website, uh, thebleedinggrave.com. <laughs> Is it possible for your yeah. listeners to suggest topics that they would like you to cover? Yes, yeah, so, so we... you can find us on our social media to suggest topics, like yeah, on our Facebook media. page, our Instagram page. You can um, email us at yeah. thebleedinggrave at gmail.com. There are polls that people that Hannah makes on Spotify so people can interact there as well. Polls or Q&As. And we do do look at those quite frequently as well. We want to know what people are saying or would like us to see if we do put a poll out. What would you like to see, this or this, you know? But people that go there, I've already gave them the Stanley Hotel idea, so. (laughs) Yeah, fine. All right, guys. So, uh, yeah, everybody check out the Bleeding Grave podcast. It's just, you guys have a great rapport, and, like, your stories are just, just ones I've never heard before. You got a really fresh take on them. It's amazing. Awesome. That's, that's what we're looking for. We, yeah, that, that really means a lot to us. Thank you. All right. <laughs>